In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. We usually do the creed after the reading of the gospel as a response, but we will be doing that uh, after the sermon today as a part of the renewal of our baptismal vows together. Friends, it's Easter. We've been making noise. Some of you shaking uh, what your mama gave you. And uh, it's been good to see us begin to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We're going to look at John 20 and declare this good news today. The good news of Easter is that those who grieve the reality of death and destruction will see God. Resurrection life bursts forth for those who seek Christ in all the ugly, detestable, confusing bits of life. It's in the midst of our tears, new creation springs. It's when all is lost that Eden is reborn. Receive Mary's gospel this morning. I have seen the Lord. He calls me by name. He is alive and all will be well john tells us it's the first day of the week at the beginning of chapter 20 for john jesus's resurrection is the dawn of new creation it's the new seven days of creation and we see uh jesus being in a garden with a woman i mean it's so yeah you get you get it right this is eden refounded here parenthetically this is why we worship on Sunday, not Saturday like uh, the Jews still do. The first day of the week is now the day of the resurrection, the first, the dawn of new creation. So Mary, we're told, arrives at the tomb early in the morning. She's, she's there before the sun is up. And she sees something and she goes to get Peter and John and they come back and then they leave again, but she stays behind. And Mary becomes the apostle, the messenger to the apostles. The first person to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because two things, just want to point out two things that I think Mary illustrates and demonstrates for us that we can embody and participate in this morning. Mary grieves something that is sad. And two, she waits on Jesus in it. She grieves something that is sad. And two, she waits on Jesus in it. Number one, she grieves something that is sad three times, actually four times. We're told she's crying. Verse 11, two times in verse 11, and then 13 and 15, the angel and Jesus both re reference her tears. She's lost not only someone she loves, Jesus, but she's lost, she thinks, the body of that person. She had come to reverence that body, to probably anoint it with oil, to pay homage, or as Spencer likes to say, homage, to the dead body of Jesus. And uh, it's not there. Uh, <clears throat> here's the thing about this. If you, if, if you are accused of robbing a grave, it's a crime in ancient Israel. So not only is Mary sad that Jesus is dead and sad that the body's gone, 
but she's at a crime scene because the body's missing. And we don't know why Peter and John came and like <laughs> hightailed it out of there. Was it fear? You know, were they going to tell others? Were they going to hide? But we do know that Mary stayed and cried at a place that was a crime scene, even when she could have been implicated in the crime. Because I think uh, Mary's fierce commitment to be fully present to her sadness is an, uh, an, an example of God being uh, so real that he most fully meets us who we really are. When we ring bells and light candles and shout and, and use our, uh, shake our jazz hands, um, we, we can give the impression that Easter is a time to sort of try to forget about all the bad stuff, right? But Easter is not a time to ignore dead or missing bodies. It's a day to face them head on in all their sadness. The resurrection is the light in which we can speak the truth about sad things. Sad things are supposed to be sad. Even in Eastertide, we can weep if we need to weep. And with those who weep, death, coronavirus, unemployment, violence, the cancellation of spring college football practice. Friends, it's all sad. It's all sad. In John 11, it was Jesus who wept at a tomb of his friend Lazarus before resurrection. And he came out all wrapped in linens. In John 20, it's Mary who weeps at the tomb of Jesus after the resurrection. He comes out, not wrapped in his grave cloths, but unbound and unshackled from his grave clothes. Mary grieves like Jesus. And like Jesus, she sees resurrection. Those who grieve the reality of death and destruction will see God. Resurrection life bursts forth for those who seek Christ in all the ugly, desolate, confusing bits of life. It's in the midst of our tears, new creation springs. It's when all is lost that Eden is reborn. Receive the gospel of Mary today. I have seen the Lord. He calls me by name. He is alive. All will be well. So she, she, she grieves at sad things and she waits on Jesus in it. Three times we're told she's seeking or looking for Jesus. We're told that in verse two with Peter and John. She tells them that. And then uh, the angels and Jesus both ask her about that. Now notice what John does here. I'm going to try not to go 40 minutes today, friends, but it's Easter. So gird up your ear holes. Here we go. Notice the progression. Notice the progression in this text of what is seen. Mary comes and she sees in verse one, the stone rolled away. The first thing that's seen. Then John looks in, he sees the linen clothes in verse five. Then Peter looks in and he sees the linen cloth and the face cloth separate from the linen cloth, verse seven. And John enters in and we're, said, it's, we're told he sees and believes. Now, whatever he believes there, uh, we're told right after that, that he didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. So it's a belief, but it's not this full confessional belief that Mary does later. Then Mary 
sticking around. Remember at a crime scene, super sad. She looks in and she sees not the linen cloth, not the face cloth. She sees two angels. Isn't that interesting? Angels could have appeared to Peter and John. They had time to do that. Angels, angels going to angel, you know. They can do what they want to do. But they choose to, to wait on Mary, the one who's waiting on Jesus. And they ask her, why are you crying? She says, they've taken my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. So she turns and she sees now Jesus. But she doesn't know it's Jesus. She thinks it's a gardener. So she turns and she sees a gardener. Why are you crying? Why are you looking for? Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And then he says, Mary. And then she sees Jesus. Notice as Mary seeks Jesus, Jesus and the angels meet her with compassionate curiosity. Do you notice this? Why are you crying? Who do you, who are you seeking? What do you want? These gentle, powerful questions in the midst of her grief are meant to draw Mary deeper into her sadness and grief so that she can turn and see the resurrected Lord. Why are you crying? It isn't a rebuke. It's not a passive-aggressive dismissal of her emotions. It's permission and validation. It's an honoring of her tears. It's as though God, through the angels and Jesus, is saying, let's have a look at your tears. What is it that you don't have that you want? And in the midst of in the midst of Mary seeking or waiting on Jesus in her grief, and in the midst of God meeting her with compassionate curiosity and honoring that grief and that sadness, we're told twice by John that Mary turns. This is a metaphor or an allusion to a, a repentance. She's repenting in her grief, not saying sorry for crying. I know I shouldn't be so emotional. You know how you know how we get when, when people are dead but she has the eyes of her heart enlightened. She doesn't apologize for her tears. Her tears are transformational because she seeks Jesus in them. The pure in heart will see God. And we see her heart being purified here in real time. Her purity of heart enabled her to see God. It was a heart purified by grief, sorrow, patience, tenacity, and an unfettered, unyielding desire to seek Jesus in the midst of it. Those who grieve the reality of death and destruction will see God, friends. Resurrection life bursts forth for those who seek Christ in all the ugly, desolate, confusing bits of life. It's in the midst of our tears that new creation springs. It's when all is lost or seems lost that, that Eden is reborn. Receive the good news that Mary proclaims today. I've seen the Lord. He calls me by name. He is alive. All will be well. I, uh, we had a, a Easter vigil story time last night where we shared some stories of grief. And um, a number of you were there. Something that I noticed that we didn't get a chance to discuss or debrief on was that each of us shared, most of us shared a story of sadness. I can't think of one who didn't do this, by the way. So if you did, 
uh, just slide into my DMs and let me know. Uh, but each of us shared a story of darkness and sadness, but it was punctuated by light. There was some hope or light or redemption or restoration in every story. I'm reflecting on this, and I got a text message from a friend that I haven't talked to for 18 months. I've texted him a dozen times. I've called him a uh, half dozen times. And um, the word that I would use to describe this friend was that uh, he was ghosting me, sort of ignoring me. Um, this has happened a number of times. feels like um, this, this is a normal experience of, of pastors where you meet somebody in your congregation, you get to know them, and then they disappear, and they won't return your call. Uh, if you've been in uh, pastoral ministry, this just happens. It's just normal. Uh, but it always hurts your heart. Well, this person, he's not a Christian. Um, and he was a neighbor of mine a long time ago. And uh, he he reaches out to me. And uh, and he says, hey, let's talk. And so I give him a call. And he says, hey, have you seen the Kayleaf Brower story? Documentary on Netflix. I said, no. He said, um, it's a story uh, of a of a teenager, 16-year-old teenager from the Bronx who um, was arrested and held at Rikers Island Jail Complex for allegedly stealing a backpack. And because he couldn't post the $900 bond, he was held in jail for three years from 2010 to 2013. Two of those years, he was in solitary confinement. Because, because he was accused of stealing a backpack and couldn't post bail, not because he was convicted. He was released when the prosecutor's case was found to be lacking evidence against him. Uh, and the main witness that the prosecution had left the US. Two years after his release, Khalif Brower committed suicide in his mom's home. His uh, supporters in this documentary say that his death was the result of the mental, physical, and other kinds of abuse that he sustained in prison. So my friend calls me and he says, you gotta watch this documentary. And I say, why? And he says, well, you know, <sighs> he says, uh, you know, I'm a hardcore Republican. That's what he said. And he said, I'm a justice guy all the way. I'm a Blue Lives Matter guy all the way. I think Donald Trump is the best president we've ever had. <laughs> but I've been thinking a lot about social justice, he said. He said, I've been pro-death penalty all my life, but if even one innocent person dies on death row, it makes the whole thing unjust. He said, I after watching this documentary, I can't, I can't be for the death penalty anymore. I was shocked. And he starts crying. This guy doesn't cry very much. And he says, I miss your family. And he asks about my son. And he tells me, uh, he tells me I'm his brother. 
and like in the midst of this awful story that he's recounting to me, the Caliph Brower story, and the tragedy and the injustice, the sadness, the death and devastation on this young man's life, new creation is springing up in my friend. His heart is turning towards the Lord. He's able to see the light of Christ, what is just and unjust. Friends, that's the same power at work in us today. Receive Mary's gospel. I have seen the Lord. He calls me by name. He is alive and all will be well. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.